This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, February 2nd. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Telluride approves increased capacity for Bluegrass Festival, large-scale questions on short-term rentals, Town Council approves grant funding for 2023, and a mountain weather forecast. Festivarian Nation will swell even bigger this year. This week, Telluride Town Council approved an additional 500 individuals per day at the 50th annual Telluride Bluegrass Festival. So the request in front of you is to have an additional 500 people per day for the upcoming Bluegrass Festival, which is scheduled for June 15th to the 18th and uh, is their 50th anniversary. And that would bring their total capacity from 11,500 to 12,000 per day. That's Telluride Parks and Recreation Director Stephanie Jacquet speaking at town council this week. Zach Tucker, Director of Operations for Planet Bluegrass, says the goal for increasing the capacity is to bring even more joy to the park. We're pretty excited to be bringing our 50th anniversary festival this year. That's a pretty big thing for us. And really, this comes down to us wanting to share that with as many of our fellow festivarians and friends as we possibly can. Each year, Planet Bluegrass reserves 500 tickets for locals. With the increase in capacity, the festival is required to hold the additional 500 tickets for locals as well. We would sell those in conjunction with the 500 that we've already um, saved for locals. But he notes the format of the sale will look a little different. We're going to do it all at Kodo um, on kind of one big day as kind of a big local on sale ticket party. In total, with both the previously reserved local tickets and those from the increased capacity, there will be 800 four-day passes with 200 single-day tickets for each day. And we're looking to put similar restrictions that we've seen work pretty well in the past, and that's limiting someone to only being allowed to buy four tickets per day. So that could be four four-day tickets, and that's kind of thinking, you know, a family of four wants to be able to sense one person to go buy their tickets. And then in addition, someone could come in and buy uh, four single-day tickets for each day. Um, and so that way, if four-day tickets are sold out, there's still the opportunity for someone to come all four days using single days or something like that. In order to purchase a ticket, the buyer must prove they're a San Miguel County resident. Any tickets that are left over after the sale date will be available at the Bluegrass Festival box office in June with the same restrictions. Town Council unanimously approved the increase in capacity for the additional tickets, but not without some hesitation. Council member Adrian Christie doesn't want to see the festival coming back for a capacity increase each year. I think I, I think it's silly for us to constantly have an annual discussion about whether or not we should increase the capacity. I think we should change the municipal code to be the capacity and not have that provision and require a minimum of, of a thousand local tickets. Whether that capacity is 12,000 or 11,500, whatever, that's perhaps a discussion for another time because that's not really what we're talking about right now. But I don't want to, as nice as you are, I don't want to have an annual discussion with you about whether or not we should increase the capacity. Other members of council agree. Here's council member Me and Fee. I'd love for it not to be that scenario that if we're going to take care of the community, we have to increase the tickets or we don't get to take care of the town of Telluride and, and the people that live here. Because I don't, that feels, it feels a little bit like a hostage situation. And it feels like that was um, a business decision to do, to have the conversation this way, as opposed to having the conversation prior to ticket sales, where, you know, Planet Bluegrass and the town of Telluride as partners for 50 years and putting on this event said, 
we want to make sure that that 50-year relationship honors and respects the people that live here in the town of Telluride. Tucker says he doesn't want local ticketing to feel like a hostage situation. To ensure as many locals who want tickets are able to get them, moving forward, he says Planet Bluegrass intends to sell local tickets before they become available to the general public. So it's going to feel real early. It's going to be October, November of this coming of the year that we're in. Um, but that's going to be the best way that we've found so far to address um, the, the goals that, that we heard from council. Proof of residency in San Miguel County would still need to be provided, and there will be a cap of four tickets per individual. As many locals as want to purchase the tickets will be able to, the remainder of tickets will go to the general public. The 50th annual Telluride Bluegrass Festival will take place in Town Park June 15th through 18th. Local tickets will be on sale at KOTO Radio on Wednesday, March 1st from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Proof of San Miguel County residence is required. The founding of Airbnb back in 2008 completely changed the landscape of vacation lodging and the landscape of Telluride. But while the town has made moves to limit short-term vacation rentals in the past, it's never done a deep dive into their impacts. As KOTO's Gavin McGough reports, that's about to change. In 2021, worried about the impacts of short-term rentals or STRs, Telluride voters decided to put a hard cap on such properties and ceased to offer additional STR licenses. Town manager Scott Robson, speaking to town council this week, says the cap was a temporary measure and will soon expire. Robson begins by reminding listeners of some of the history. Residents of the town of Telluride, as you know, passed Telluride question 2D, imposing a suspension on the issuance of a short-term rental business licenses and capping the number of STR licenses to approximately 750 for a two-year period. And that stretches until this year, November of 2023. That cap was based on the existing number of licenses held in August of 2021. The town of Telluride has never fully studied the issue of short-term rentals. Town now plans to embark on such a data-finding mission by hiring a third party to research STRs in Telluride and Mountain Village. Robson explains the goal of the study is to find a baseline of information on which to make future decisions. Uh, really, at least my goal is that this study will provide a robust data set and analysis of the STR landscape in Telluride for the majority of our community to at least understand and hopefully agree upon the data, the facts, the methodology here, and that you as policymakers are provided with the data and the public input you need to make informed decisions on future STR policy in Telluride. That baseline information includes how many STRs the area has, where they're distributed, and so on. Robson continues a list of questions for the study. Collection of data related to overall percentage of housing stock, their STRs and locations per neighborhood, uh, percentage of STRs per neighborhood. Now, this is within both Mountain Village and within the town of Telluride. We would love to identify the number of hotel rooms, for example, that are existing and planned in both of our towns and estimate the number of STRs needed to really supplement that traditional hotel accommodation bed base to adequately support uh, both our current and future visitation in, in Telluride. Short-term rentals and the platforms that promote them have come under criticism, not only in Telluride, but in the tourism industry globally. 
they have been blamed for driving up rental prices for locals and sending tourists flooding into neighborhoods which were once quiet residential spaces off the beaten path. Robson says part of Telluride's study will include an analysis of how short-term rentals interact with other housing needs in town to see whether mitigation efforts are necessary. A third bucket would be that housing impact analysis. And again, this is more important to some communities than others. Um, Some have chosen not to necessarily weave these elements into their um, RFPs in this kind of a study. But but really here is where... um, I think in Telluride, so much of the debate has occurred in many of our uh, peer communities. But understanding better uh, the the degree to which STRs impact our our, uh, workforce housing. Robson and town staff are drafting a request for proposals, or an RFP, to ask for third-party researchers who could complete the study. Robson asked town council if they approve of the study's scope as it is written. Councilmember Adrian Christie says she does, but wants to ensure town isn't making any assumptions. Here she points to a specific statement in the RFP. Just even the question C1, evaluate the degree to which STR contribute to workforce housing shortages. I can see people in the STR industry wishing that that question said, or that, that this statement is more, do STR contribute to workforce housing shortages? If so, to what degree? Like making sure that the questions don't have an inherent bias in them so that we are trying to be reflective and honoring the idea of checking our own assumptions. After Telluride has secured a research firm to complete the study, it hopes to have data in hand by late spring or summer. Telluride's town council unanimously approved grant recommendations for the Commission on Community Assistance, Arts and Special Events on Tuesday. On January 11th, CASE voted unanimously to approve the recommended grant allocations. That's Parks and Recreation Special Events Coordinator Amanda Baltzley speaking before town council. CASE accepts and reviews grant applications which fall into two categories, arts and special events and community support organizations. Two categories differ. Slightly, in terms of eligible, eligibility criteria, items funded, and uses of funds. Sasha Cuccinello, case board chair, notes there's a number of criteria the board looks at while allocating funds. The goal of the review criteria and application questions was to provide the commission with the tools necessary for a comprehensive evaluation of a r- variety of proposals. The review criteria are as follows. One, compliance with case grant guidelines. Two, demonstration of unique and necessary services provided. Efforts to promote collaboration with other nonprofits, board participation in the organization, long-term sustainability strategies, budget, and ability to raise funds. Six, economic impact on town of Telluride. Seven, outreach efforts and number of participants. Diversity, equity, and inclusion of board, staff, and community served. Compliance with Town of Telluride policies and ordinances. And 10, completeness and specificity of application. Based on that criteria, last month the case board recommended allocating over half a million dollars to 44 nonprofits. This week, town council was charged with approving cases recommendations. But in an item that typically is more of a rubber stamp, conversation got slightly contentious. Council member Adrian Christie has concerns about how the funding is allocated, though she began by thanking Case for its work. First of all, I just want to say thank you. I know how much work goes into those applications and how much work it is to read all of them and to um, 
uh, assess sort of who is worthy of funds. But she'd like to see more input from council about the town's priorities for funding. Case is a very passive way of funding. Like, you guys come to us, ask for what you want, and we'll decide whether we want to give it to you, as opposed to us on council saying we want to fund early childhood education. And we're going to put generally in case this amount of money towards that amount. And please come to us and ask for that. Same with say the um, like child sports teams. <laughs> if we want to fund those, which I think we should, then we should say that. Trying to compare them against like other organizations just feels, I don't know, um, sort of difficult to me. Council member Mian Fee adds she'd like to see more structure and data-driven information when it comes to the application discussions. Um, so that we don't trail off into these conversations that maybe get a little emotional or leave organizations feeling as though there was something else they should have brought to the table that they weren't aware of. There's so many incredible organizations in this community and we want to fund them. And so I think this is just an amazing opportunity for us to really be able to create a structure that will allow our nonprofits to succeed, our organizations to succeed, and the case board to feel as though they're following the direction um, that the community wants them to. But council member Dan Enright notes with a wide breadth of organizations, there's need for an element of subjective conversation. The, the apples and oranges nature of these different organizations and how what a wide spectrum that they cover of what is the empirical data that compares? How do you have one application that shows their value or makes them fight for the same the same pool of dollars without the the connection and emotions of the case board members? Uh, coming into play to a certain extent. Town staff, the case board, and members of council and the public who wish to participate will continue to debrief on the grant process at its future meetings. With approval of funding from town council, the town of Telluride will distribute funding agreements to grant recipients with payments following after. Sometimes there's a book you just must get your hands on, but driving all the way to Telluride is too much. Enter the Wilkinson Public Library. This week, the library is launching its newest pickup location, the Lawson Locker. The library has installed a new remote pickup and return box at the Lawson Intercept lot. The service allows 24-7 pickup or drop-off of library materials. The Lawson location increases the library's off-site returns to three, one at the market in Mountain Village, another at the M&M Mercantile in Placerville. There's also a remote mini-library, the Twig, in Mountain Village. But the Lawson Locker is the only site to provide hold pickups. To try out the Lawson Locker, find a title you'd like to borrow from the library and put it on hold. Then select Wilkinson Public Library Lawson Lockers as the pickup location. You'll get an email when your item is ready for pickup. At the locker, select Hold Pickup and scan your library card. The locker will pop open and your item will be inside. The Lawson Locker will open for business on Friday, February 3rd. Author, activist, and climate action leader Bill McKibben will be joining Telluride this year as the 2023 Mountain Film Guest Director. McKibben is a founder and organizer for 350.org, a climate action organization focused on getting institutions to divest from fossil fuels. 
He is the author of more than 20 books, helped lead a movement against the Keystone XL pipeline, and in 2021, McKibben founded Third Act, an organization that encourages people over 60 to take action on climate and justice. No stranger to Mountain Film, McKibben first presented at the festival in 2009. As guest director, he will help guide festival program and participate in presentations and conversations throughout the weekend. The 2023 Mountain Film Festival will take place in Telluride, May 25th through 29th. A coalition of community members in Montezuma County is working with doctors from the Indian Health Service to provide medical support for the unhoused. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Chris Clements of KSJD has more. Every Tuesday in Cortez, a street medicine group meets at St. Barnabas's Church. They head up and down the streets of Cortez, traveling behind retail stores and scouring public parks in search of the unhoused. The goal is to provide those they encounter with medical care, clothing, and some reassurance that they are not alone. Lucia Bueno Valdez is the homeless services specialist at the Pinion Project, one of the groups involved in the coalition. I have seen everything from them doing like realigning broken arms, broken legs, checking up on people, um, t- calling the ambulance and having people checked into the hospital, like more than just an emergency room stay, taking clients themselves to Shiprock. Bueno Valdez added that the Street Medicine Group also distributes sleeping bags and clothes to the unhoused people they come across. For KSJD, I'm Chris Clements. Lawmakers at the State House are trying to curb the use of four-point restraints in Colorado. Four-point restraints involve securing a person to a bed by their wrists and ankles. The practice is used in prisons when an inmate is in crisis and there's concerns they may hurt themselves or others. A new bill would outlaw prisons from using four-point restraints, with some exceptions. Those exceptions have some lawmakers concerned. They want the restraints banned fully. The bill was passed by the House Judiciary Committee on Tuesday and moves on to a fiscal review. With affordable housing threatened in the Roaring Fork and Colorado River Valleys, mobile home parks are one of the few remaining beacons of hope. But many residents in those parks don't own the land under their units. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Aspen Public Radio's Hallie Zander reports on how one mobile home park in Glenwood Springs is trying to work around the system to secure their housing long term. So you have one dog, one cat, and a bird? Or... Um, oh, that I know. Oh my gosh, and then so many more. Oh, we got snakes. We got snakes. Felix Jimenez has lived in Three Mile Mobile Home Park for over 30 years, and his family is full of animal lovers. We had this salamander that I captured up in Aspen that I hurt with a little machine that I was working with, and I brought it home. They called her Sally, and she survived for like 10 years after I brought her home. So that, that kind of started our, our thing with animals. He and his wife Lori raised five kids and at least one dog, cat, bird, and a few snakes in this park. And two of their grown children are now living in the neighboring units. So yeah, I own, the, I own this one. You know, and then Vanessa owns that one. And Lori, my wife, actually owns this one and, and Gabriella stays there. But home ownership is complicated in mobile home parks. Jimenez owns his unit at Three Mile, just not the land underneath it. I mean, I could never make the big step up into a house, so it is what it is. I'm here at the park. I've got to live here. Until recently, the park was owned by Colorado resident Ben Kruger, who died in 2021. After that, Jimenez and his wife, Lori Bennett, were afraid their housing was in jeopardy. 
both of us are getting ready to be retired and to think of increasing rents on a retired salary it was like okay we're gonna get roommates we're gonna sell you know and when we thought we'd have to sell it was like well what state do we move to but when Jimenez met Sidney Shallot, the executive director of the social justice nonprofit Manaus, their options opened up. Manaus and its subsidiary, Roaring Fork Community Development Corporation, have been trying to help mobile home park communities purchase their land. Bennett says Jimenez has been rallying his neighbors to sign on to this effort. He's worked so hard for the past year, talking to people and just, you know, pounding on doors. And mobile homes are not truly mobile after a period of time. A lot of people who are priced out of their lots end up having to leave their homes behind. Shallot is excited about the opportunity Manaus has to preserve Three Mile. But in previous years with similar projects, their efforts were unsuccessful. Here's Shallot. None of those projects came to fruition because they, once the parks get listed, it's like a feeding frenzy of bids. And so even if the residents do this miraculous work and get all the financing in order to purchase, they're going to have competition, and the competition comes in millions over. Updates to Colorado's Mobile Home Park Act went into effect in October. Now, residents get 120 days notice when their properties go up for sale before the owner can go into contract with a new buyer. That's up from the 90 days previously required. But even when residents of the Dotsero Mobile Home Park used their time this summer to develop partnerships and secure financing, the seller still denied their offer. Manaus wasn't involved, but they watched that effort from the sidelines. All that work, and I mean significant work, like it was insane, and it still fell through. And so that was just like too heartbreaking. So when it came to Three Mile, Manaus met with the property owners before the mobile home park was listed for sale. Shallot says that was their best shot to avoid displacing 20 homes filled with 90 residents, 31 of which are children. When we learned that detail, we were like, oh yeah, we're going to do whatever we can to make sure they don't have their school system interrupted, that they don't have to move, that the families don't have to scramble to find an extra $1,000 a month for a pad fee that doesn't actually result in much improvement. At first, Shallot had been offered loans that required her team to raise $250,000 from donors by the end of April and pay interest only for the first five years of their mortgage. But last week, given the volatile real estate market, the terms changed. Now they need $500,000 committed by March 3rd, and their interest-only payments are just for two years. That puts a lot of pressure on Shallot's team to double their fundraising efforts in a very short period of time. We're having a hard time sleeping. This is a project that's like near and dear to us. And we, yeah, I, I think I've been working, you know, like 12 hour days lately and my whole team has. The pressure is definitely on in a different way than we were expecting. Shallot says they're still hopeful and have formally asked the current owners to give them more time to fundraise. And if they can pull it off, at least 13 of the park's 20 properties agreed to be a part of the purchase. Manaus doesn't plan to be a long-term landlord, but Shallot says they'll give the residents time to purchase the park back. But the change in mortgage terms gives them a tighter deadline. And other housing advocates are feeling that mounting pressure. We had the housing market go crazy as well. That's Don Mulgaris. She's the executive director for the San Luis Valley Housing Coalition. She worked to purchase the Century Mobile Home Park in Alamosa County in southern Colorado. And she knows what it feels like to have a strict window of opportunity. Both of our sellers that we tried to work with 
held us to the timeline of the Mobile Home Park 2020 Act. But Mulgaris got the state's Mobile Home Park Oversight Program involved to help keep the sellers in compliance with Colorado's new laws. That's because she's seen these deals fall apart in the past. So she warns Three Mile residents of these vulnerabilities. And I will tell them from experience, plan for the worst case scenario, hope for the best case scenario, and be prepared to land somewhere in the middle. If Manaus secures its financing and closes the deal with the Kruger family, that's still just the first step. It could be years before residents take over. But Jimenez and his wife, Bennett, are hopeful. I'm still praying that everything comes together the way they need. And Jimenez says he's willing to put in the time and effort to preserve their little slice of paradise. Development is just happening. It's just everywhere. And it's so nice to have, at least for my kids and myself, to know that there's just forest here still. And that makes the big difference. Getting up, going to work, or resting at night and listening to the water makes it happen. If they're successful, Jimenez and his neighbors will have time to decide what kind of governing structure works best for them, secure loans, and eventually purchase the park back from the Manaus team. Because I'm hoping that maybe residents of other parks will say, okay, we can do this. Hopefully other residents can go, we can do this for our park. For Aspen Public Radio News, I'm Hallie Zander. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for clear skies tonight with a low around 15 degrees. Friday should be mostly sunny during the day and mostly cloudy at night. The high is near 40 degrees with a low around 20. Saturday, expect sunny skies with a high near 40. Saturday night should be partly cloudy with a low around 20 degrees. This has been the news for Thursday, February 2nd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.